Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. I hope that is good news for you. The Muppets Take Manhattan. It was a great movie. So was The Natural, so was The Gremlins, The Karate Kid, Ghostbusters. I'll tell you what, the summer of 1984 was a fantastic summer to be a 12-year-old kid going to the movies. Uh, That was up. So the movies, you go to this place, and I'm joking. We'll get back there. Ghostbusters was a huge film, and I, I loved it. The soundtrack, I had that on cassette. Uh, cassette, that's the things that, never mind. It had marketing toys of all of the characters, the little ghosts, the big ones. The, the moment that I love in the movie is when the Ghostbusters are at the end. They're fighting Near the end, Gozer, the Gozerian, this fake weird god thing, and a voice calls out of the darkness, choose the form of the destroyer. And they're all looking at each other going, wait, what does that mean? What the heck is going on? And they figure out, wait, clear your minds of everything. Don't think of anything because that, whatever we think of is the thing that's going to destroy us. Then footsteps. Rumbling. Dr. Ray Stance says, I tried to think of the most harmless thing, something I loved from my childhood, something that could never, ever possibly destroy us. Mr. Stay Puffed. Mr. Stay Puffed was the marshmallow man. 112 and a half feet of mouth-watering deliciousness that, sorry. According to the theory of ironic processes, you and I know exactly what that moment is about. That moment where you're trying not to think about something, but you do. Or that moment where you're thinking about something, but you don't want to think about it. I feel like when we say something like theory, it puts more weight behind something that we already anecdotally know. Here's what Dr. Stance, the Ghostbuster, illustrates for us, is that we have a very limited ability to create our emotional environment based upon simple thoughts. You don't believe me? Try these. And I mean really try. Here you go. Feel courageous. Good? How about this one? Be happy. Have hope. Don't worry. So as we come to the second week of Advent, I am well aware of The reality that saying peace be with you is a losing battle to begin with. But that does not mean that peace is inaccessible. We just need to understand why and how we can have peace. 
It's actually one of the reasons why Lauren asked you to get your communion elements. I want them in front of you while we walk through this sermon. I want you to be reminded of what is at the center. Our scripture this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah chapter 11. Verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your Bibles, and if it's your practice, please stand for the reading of God's word. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Spirit of the living God, you have given us this scripture, this passage, these words from Isaiah that we might know you, that we might understand more about who you are. So God, in your mercy and grace, we pray that these words come alive in our experience like never before, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you will recognize this passage as one that gets read often at Advent. Just the reading of it brings you comfort and a vision of what is to come, a vision for what is true in moments for you. When I was assigned this passage, I looked at it and I said, I, I, I get this passage, I love this passage. I'm glad though that I've had the opportunity to dive a little bit deeper. And I think that happens often when I jump into scripture. I, I'm grateful of learning something new. I'm grateful that, that something has, has come new to me. This is the only time that we'll be in Isaiah during Advent, so let me fill you in on some context. Isaiah is a prophetic book. It primarily deals with Judah and Jerusalem in the southern kingdom, though throughout the whole entire book it mentions the northern kingdom of Israel, it's only mentioned as a backdrop, as, as a reality of what's happening around the vision of Isaiah is one of a new people 
one where the northern and southern kingdoms are together, and through them, the new Jerusalem will come. But first, there are some problems. And for our purposes today, the Assyrians, and in particular, the Damascus and Syrian empires have taken over and actually are, are putting pressure on Judah to, to come and be a part of this Assyrian empire. And if they don't, then they're going to be destroyed. Yet here is where all of this gets really interesting because Isaiah comes on the scene. The word of God steps into a moment and begins to speak. And we're introduced to this idea of Emmanuel. This reality of Savior. We get introduced in this way, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it, and justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I hope that this is not lost on you, the words... Mighty God. Isaiah is not only speaking of a new human king. Not a new person who's going to come in their midst. Those had been promised over and over again. It is a promise that goes beyond their age into our time where the king could only be God in the flesh. Chapter 8, verses 8 of Isaiah mentions Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord is come. Isaiah goes on to talk about the destruction of a forest. In chapter 10, he uses a metaphor. He talks about disease that is going to come and fire that is going to come and destroy this forest. But somehow there's a little bit that remains. And you have to know that this forest is a metaphor for Assyria. And God, even though there is some left over, doesn't let it stand. The end of chapter 10 says this, 10, 33 and 34. See the Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And that is when we come to our passage after this struggle and destruction. It says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will will bear fruit. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Out of destruction and desolation and nothingness comes hope. When I was younger, I really didn't pay enough attention to what was going on here, to be quite honest. And people telling me about shoots and stumps and all the things, and I, I, I honestly had no clue. I had no clue that a, a tree stump could actually grow back to a tree. That's what it looks like. But apparently, from Jesse's lineage, the Savior is going to come, and there will be unmistakable fruit. Who is Jesse? Jesse was the son of Obed, the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. He lived in Bethlehem in Judea. He was the tribe of Judah. He was a farmer, breeder, owner of goats. He's a resident of the town of Bethlehem and Oh, and he was also the father to uh, King David. But why Jesse and not David? Well, the lineage is there. The reality is that David was the one that grew from Jesse. The promise was to Jesse, not to David in particular. David was the one who, who grew that kingdom and, and became king, but when we look at David's dynasty, we might not think of it as all that successful. When you compare David and Solomon and all of the following kings to this idea, to this hope of Isaiah saying, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the fruit of each of one of those kingdoms is unmistakable. Something greater than David will come even from the shoot of Jesse. See, God uses the lowly, the unimportant in order to make his point. Most importantly, I want you to see something else in this section Theologian John Golden Gay suggests that the Old Testament wisdom literature does not speak in terms of Yahweh's spirit, just doesn't talk about Yahweh's spirit. There isn't an idea of Holy Spirit coming. And in particular, it doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit resting by any stretch of the imagination. Resting of the spirit of God was anathema. God's spirit is tumultuous and unpredictable. In fact, the Celtic phrase for the Holy Spirit translates to wild goose because they viewed God as someone who could not be tamed or domesticated. But this is what is promised. A resting spirit, a consistent spirit, a calm spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge of God's kingdom resting on this king forever. When that happens, the Savior 
reigns. Isaiah goes on to talk about the character of this Savior's rule. J.A. Mottier says this, the fundamental characteristic of his rule will be righteousness, which in practical terms will mean justice for the poor and meek, something which the current kings had conspicuously failed to bring about. I would love for you to go back and read Isaiah 3, 12 through 15 at, at some point in time and see why the kings are getting judged. Because they failed to speak up for those who are the marginalized, the poor, In this new kingdom, righteousness and faithfulness will be worn as a uniform, as a reminder to everyone. This stands in stark contrast to Assyria and even Babylon later and even Rome later and even all of the countries of the earth that continue to subdue it. Power, violence, and subjugation were the hallmarks of those kingdoms. The oppression of God's people, the violence shown to the poor and the powerless, the subjugation of people in order to monopolize the world and its resources will end with the kingdom of God. No more let's sin and sorrow grow. But what will it look like? Isaiah picks up a metaphor of harmony and satisfaction. The powerful will live among the powerless. The wolf abides with the lamb. It's a place where the meek will lead. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. It's a place where everyone's needs are met in such a way that they can have empathy and care for others. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And peace, peace will replace the fear in this new kingdom. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand near the viper's nest. The strong and powerful will live together with the weak and powerless because the latter can believe that the former are no longer seeking to devour them. He rules the world with truth and grace and because God rules in that way, peace can come. Do I need a savior? Because this sounds amazing. And for many of us, these words and this scripture have been a moment of relief for you. Of remembering what's coming and what currently is because of what God's doing in your world and in your heart and how God's got a hold of you. You're able to settle in and believe it. You're able to hold on to these promises because of the discipleship and the walk that you've had with Jesus, the intimacy that you have with Jesus. You're able to grasp it. But as I was writing this sermon, as I was walking towards this space, I will tell you it felt really hard to grasp. 
as I watched my daughter and other high school seniors online for what feels like a really important moment of transition in their lives, it doesn't feel peaceful. I haven't seen my in-laws in over a year, and that feels way too long. My uncle, my mom's brother, passed away from COVID the day before Thanksgiving. I didn't know him, and now I never will. Where's the peace? For some of us, knowing that this kingdom is coming doesn't really help because it's hard to remember. It doesn't help because you're under attack right now. It may be because COVID is getting worse and things are, are difficult. It doesn't help that things may be hard for your family right now. I know some of you have lost income, jobs, businesses. It doesn't help because fear is easily accessible. Maybe it's because you can't deal with those people, whoever they are. It doesn't help because maybe you're frustrated right now and the things in your life make it really hard to understand peace. And it can feel like it's going to get darker before it gets lighter. Jesus is here to remind us that regardless of what we can see, we can have peace. The little child who is Christ comes in the midst of tumultuous times. And we can't have peace because we say we can have peace. I can't muster up, yell loud enough, or scream about peace A couple weeks ago, my family decided to get out. We went hiking to the Hollywood sign. Amazing. I, I had never been there. Grew up in Southern California. I just, I just thought, nah, I won't do that. Did the hike to the Hollywood sign. And there's this moment where you get to really a place where you can see it. It's right, it's right there. And you just kind of want to walk to it. But if you really want to get to the sign, the closest you get to the sign, you have to go that way. <laughs> like you have to go way out and around and back behind the mountain to come back to the top. And I think that's part of the way things are. If we look at peace and want to get there, there's a moment we have to go a different direction in order to get there. We have to see something else. We have to, we have to drive at something else in order, order to understand. The, the effect of God's kingdom is that peace will come, but you have to live in God's kingdom in order for that to happen. It's true of what I was talking about with the Ghostbusters, right? They actually had to do something that they never thought that they were going to do, something catastrophic for, for them. 
They had to lean into something that they thought might destroy them in order to gain peace. For many of you, you see where I'm going and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. We have to think different and sometimes do something that's drastic. Look, we don't hope just by hoping. We have to believe in something more, something better than what is. All of God and all of you for all time and all times. God reaches out Father, Son, and Spirit for you and I so that you and I might know God and be filled with God. That is the thrill of hope. We don't have peace through silence. It comes in the kingdom of God, the one present now and the fullness of what is coming. The one that is present in us, we have received with this wild Holy Spirit that rests on you and I, that we might align ourselves with the characteristics of a new kingdom. The effect of the rule of the kingdom of God in your heart is the peace of the kingdom of God in your heart. The Savior reigns. And when the Savior reigns, peace reigns. The attacks around you can become peace when you face them with hope. The difficulties in your family can become peace when you address them with love. The fear that overwhelms you can become peace when you let go and you reach for joy. The frustrations that can become peace will be allowed to be compassionate. Allow the compassion of Christ to rule in your hearts and your minds. Because when we give our hearts to the kingdom of the Savior, when we give our hearts to Jesus, you and I live in to the promise of peace. I'm well aware that some of you joining us may not know that peace. You may not know the person of Jesus. And I want to invite you in this moment. If you, if you haven't given your life over to Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus, if you... If you haven't stopped fighting for control in your life and haven't surrendered to Jesus, now would be a fantastic moment to do so. That the person of Jesus can come and rule in your hearts in the way that I've been describing that allows for hope, that allows for peace, and as we will learn over the next couple weeks, will allow for joy and love in a way that you've never experienced it before. And if you want to do that, it's simple. It's a simple saying yes to Jesus. It's a simple recognizing that you're not doing all the things you can do and you're not who you should be. And that God is the one who can, who can change that who can speak into the sin in your life and remove it and make you whole. God, I pray for those 
who may be in that space. Who need to know you. When we say yes to Jesus, we become more like him. More righteousness, more justice, more peace. And sometimes I have to convince myself of that reality. It can take a moment, but when I speak the words that align with the kingdom of God, it gives the spirit of God new access to me and unlimited ability to recreate my emotional environment and even more my reality. So I want you to hear this song. And I pray that this song about the reign of God might bring you peace. Peace.